will stay in this space for a minute. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs. A breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs packed in too tight can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and absence of the fuel together that makes fire possible. We'll cut out again, enough. Is it all right? There's just in my ears, I feel like cutting out. I, I read that this past week and I, I knew, you know, we had to end that space series last Sunday, but man, this, this just put a bow on it for me. When I was reading that this week, it was a reminder. Uh, sometimes we get so caught up in what we're trying to build in this world, the wood, we forget that the best way to build a fire that lasts, that the flame can actually breathe, is to create space in the wood. To create space so the fire can breathe and move. Even in this moment of worship, the song that we just sang, there was space created to hear from God. There was space created to listen to his voice. You could, you could sense it. The Holy Spirit was moving and speaking to people in the room in that moment. He's ministering to people in those moments when you create space intentionally. It makes room for the fire to move and breathe and work. All right, let's pray. And then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians. God, thank you so much to, to, to have a place that we can meet to have a place that we can gather and worship. God, thank you for a chance to be able to make space in our lives to hear from you, to, to be ministered to by your spirit. God, we pray for comfort uh, in the room, uh, for those that are hurting, for those that are going through something right now that nobody knows about and they feel like they can't tell anybody about it. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to their hearts and heal them and whatever is around, surrounding their hearts right now, that you would break it and that you would free them from it and that they would be able to talk openly and freely with somebody about what is going on and what they're dealing with because there's power and healing that comes in confession. There's power and healing when you bring things out of the darkness and into the light. If you leave it hidden, it cannot heal. God, help us as a church to step out in faith from the darkness and into the light so that we can be healed and made whole. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. We're, we're back in this week on 1 Corinthians. We took a little break there. Uh, we, we left off. Uh, we're getting to chapter 6. And so that's where we're going to jump in today. If you want to look with me there, 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to start out. And uh, if you missed any of our previous sermons in this series, you can go back and find it on YouTube. You can catch up really quick. But I'll just, I'll give you a quick little catch up. 
uh, well, not actual ketchup, but a, you know, a recap, right? Uh, what happened in Corinth was there were problems within the church. And some of the people that were trying their best to follow what God had told them, what they'd been commanded as a church, what the apostles had told them and taught them, they went to Paul and they said, hey, here's some of the issues we're finding. Here's some of what we're dealing with. Here's what people are doing and how they are a, they're abusing the gospel message. And so Paul has written this letter to the Corinthian church. And uh, there's some encouragement in here, but there's also some, re some rebuke and there's some correction. And that's what God's word does in our lives. It, it can be encouraging. It can be affirming, but it can also be correcting. It can also be uh, a form of rebuke in our lives because there are areas where we've built up strongholds and we don't necessarily want to let go of. Like we'll give God this 90% over here, but this 10% we want to hold on to because there's a comfort here. There's something we recognize here in this world that we want to hold and grasp onto. There's idols that we build up in our hearts. And so God's word, it says this, uh, and I say it is a hammer and a fire. It's a chisel. It chisels away at the parts he wants to remove so we can be healed and walk in freedom in the way he wants us to walk. That's what his Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to do today. He's going to speak through God's word, and there are things that you're going to hear in his word, and you're going to know he is speaking directly to me in this moment, and he wants to chisel something away that you've built up as an idol, a statue, a golden calf in your heart over the years, and he wants to destroy it with a hammer and fire. That's what his word does. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. Some preachers start out with like a funny story to start their messages. Sorry, I don't got a funny story today. <laughs> we got nothing like that. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Jesus taught on this, how to handle disputes within the church. He, he, he told his disciples, and then his disciples who became the apostles, they told other believers as the church grew and multiplied throughout the area. And so these people, these believers, they knew how they were supposed to handle it. They had been told. But here's what they were doing. They were taking care of it in the court of secular law. And these matters were not... Um, this wasn't major criminal activity here that Paul is rebuking. It wasn't like one believer went up and uh, murdered another, and, and now Paul is saying, no, no, you don't take that to the courts. Uh, no, no, you, you don't take that crime to the courts. You should deal with that in-house. Or, or today, we would look at it and say, there's a lot of churches that have uh, they've been involved in things, uh, sexual misconduct of sorts, uh, hiding things, uh, and, and they've decided we're going to deal with this in-house. Sexual abuse, that's a big one right now, that we're seeing from some major, well-known churches. Uh, we can go through the list of some of these churches, uh, but we're not going to do that because that's not worth our time. But what they've done is they've decided we're going to handle this in-house ourselves. 
That's not what Paul is saying here. If there's sexual abuse here, okay, there's a way we handle that. And that's not just to hide it and bury it in the church. That's not what Paul is talking about here. What they're doing is they're taking small matters, like just ticky-tack stuff. You know when your kids, uh, if you have kids, come to you and they say, I, I don't know, like, my sister, you know, shoved me. Okay, like, we don't take that to the court of law. We don't take those small matters there. But this is what they were doing, because in this society, in this culture, uh, they loved uh they loved their lawyers. They loved taking things to the court of law. There was a lot of pride there. In fact, almost everybody in Corinth, in Greek culture, they prided themselves on uh, their ability to be a lawyer. Uh, even just kind of like a, you know, not an official lawyer, but they prided themselves on their knowledge of the law. And so they liked to, to hold that over people, and they liked to rule in people's cases. And, and so people liked this aspect. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers. There's a way to handle some of those matters in-house. Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? Did you know that? We believers, all of us, the church, we will judge the world. Let, let me read you a couple verses here on that. Revelation 2, verse 25. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I, I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give authority over the nations. That's you, church. That's us, church. We will judge the nations. We will judge the world. He's given us authority as believers. You, you go all the way back to the Old Testament. I, you know I love talking about some of this stuff. Uh, I, I, I'll give you the quick recap. I, I haven't done it in a while. But uh, when you go to Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 through 9, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. What he did all the way back then in Deuteronomy, it tells us, is he split up the nations. At the Tower of Babel, this took place. When all the nations were together and then they split because of the divide in languages and they all went off to different places. At that time, what he did was God has a divine council, sons of God. And he gave them authority over these nations. But he, he took Israel. 
That was his. He said, I'm going to take this one, the weakest and the smallest. They're mine. You can have all the rest. You can rule over them. But then you read Psalm 82. How did they handle this responsibility, these sons of God? Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? We hate that, don't we? When we look around in our world today, we see the wicked being shown partiality. We see the wicked being shown favoritism in this world. It's been going on since the beginning, since the sons of God took their inheritance. And they began to rule over the nations. There's been wickedness. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. This is what they should have been doing, these sons of God that were called to rule over the nations. This isn't, this isn't figurative. This isn't metaphor. This is, this is truth. All scripture is God-breathed. Okay? We believe this. There is a spiritual battle going on in the unseen realm that we either ignore or we act like we don't know anything about it. Or maybe we never have known anything about it because nobody has ever told us. I know for a long time in my life, I ignored the unseen realm and I didn't really understand it. And I kind of thought, no, that that sounds a little crazy, a little out there. I, I, I don't get it. That's something for people long ago. We're too advanced as a society now to believe that and think that. But you can see it in our world. The darkness is becoming darker. In fact, now I I believe spiritual warfare is becoming so apparent that there is something going on, a battle between good and evil in this world, that atheism is beginning to die out. Because you can no longer truly say that there is no God or there is no spiritual realm. You can't help but look around at this world and know there's something going on. There's something taking place. These sons of God were trusted as his divine counsel. He gave them this responsibility to rule over the nations. But they didn't do what he had asked them to do. He didn't give justice to the weak and the fatherless. They didn't maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. They did not rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth for you shall inherit all the nations. Jesus makes it all right. Jesus came to restore what those sons of God were supposed to do, what they failed in. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son 
born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, and when Paul says sons here, he is including male and female. You need to understand that this is an honor. Like he's saying, no, you are included. This culture once believed that inheritance and, and the rights to the inheritance were only for the sons. No, no, now he's saying it's for the sons and the daughters. There is an inclusion that is special. So the women listening to this right here, this was an honor to them when they heard this and knew that they were included in this, that they would receive the same inheritance and adoption and birthrights as the sons. They hadn't known that in their culture. They hadn't seen that. They hadn't been valued or honored like that before. They're highly valued and honored. And now they are included in this. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Holy Spirit. He's in our hearts. Crying. Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. As sons of God, you have spiritual authority that you did not know or realize you could walk in. You can command the demons in the name of Jesus. You can tell them. You can cast them out. That's what we saw with the apostles. That's what we saw. They had command because of the Holy Spirit, because they were adopted into the family, and now they were sons alongside our big brother, Jesus. We've been adopted into this family, given the keys of authority. But we walk through this world like we're still slaves. We walk through this world scared and afraid to step into the calling he's given us to. We're no longer slaves, but sons. You can have life and life to the full, but most of us just settled to be like the story of the prodigal son, where the, the son, he takes the father's inheritance and he goes away and he wastes it and he throws it away. And at the end, when he has nothing left, and he's eating the slop of pigs, he says, I could go back and eat better and be a servant, be a slave in my father's house. That's what I'll do. And so he goes back, and that is his plan. I'm going to just be a servant in the house of the Lord, my father. But his father comes running to him, and he puts a ring, puts a ring on his hand and a robe around his back and says, no, 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 you're not a slave, you're my son. 
Stop settling for being a slave in the kingdom. You are a son. There you go. Come on. Amen. Come on. Amen. You are not a slave anymore. You're a son. Quit living like you're a slave. I know. I've done this most of my life. I know. I've just settled for just, God, I, I, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I don't deserve anything. And that's true. That's true. But his grace is sufficient. His grace empowers us to live as sons, confidently walking through this world. And so there might be something afflicting you right now. There might be something oppressing you in your life right now. You, there might be something that you've just been settling with in your life for the past 10, 20, 30 years, thinking this is how my life is always going to be. It's how it's always been. And it's okay. I, at, least I, at least I'm saved by grace, and I know I'm going to get into heaven someday. He didn't say, oh, man, just... You know, live life to the bare minimum as a slave until you get to the kingdom. No, no, no. He said live life to the full. All right? He is asking you. He is commanding you. He's telling you right now in this moment, trust me to step into the fullness of life I have for you. You don't have to live as a slave any longer. You don't have to settle for what's been afflicting you. You can step into freedom. There's power the power of life and death lies in the tongue. It starts with the words you start to say in your prayers. Start to say it, and then you'll start to believe it. You won't feel like it. You're going to feel like a fool praying some of these prayers. You're going to feel like a you're going to feel like a fool praying for miracles. You're going to feel like a fool bringing it up to your closest friends, to your family, to your spouse, to whoever is close to you in your life, and saying, "This is what I'm praying for," and they're going to look at you and say, "That's foolish." That's dumb. That's naive. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Do you believe it? Yes. Come on, now say it like you believe it. Do you believe it? Yes. No, we don't believe it yet. You, you want to believe it. You want to believe it. I know the church does. The church is sick of living powerless. The church is sick of living dried up. We don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to settle for slavery. He's called us into sonship. Church, stand up. Church, stand up. Worship team, come on. You know, we didn't get very far in Corinthians today. We got about three verses in. We'll jump in next week. I don't care. Say this. I'm a son. Say this. I'm a son. I'm a son. I'm a son. Say this. I'm a son. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. That we've been free. That we've been free. We've been set on a mission. We've been set on a mission to live. In the fullness. In the fullness. He's called us to. He's called us to. I believe. I believe. Man, we still don't believe it. We still don't, and it's okay. I'm still learning to walk into this. I believe there's miracles that are gonna happen. 
I haven't stopped believing, but man, there's been moments I've had a lot of doubts. There's been moments I've thought, God, I, I don't know how this is possible. I don't see how this is going to happen, but I'm still praying and I'm still asking and I'm still learning to walk in the fullness of sonship. That's what I want our church to do. Because this world is getting darker. And this world knows that this dried up worship that we just come on a Sunday and we live the rest of our lives the way we want to live it the rest of the week, it, it's not solving anything. It doesn't look appealing. It looks dead. It's a whitewashed tomb. That His Holy Spirit wants to break free in your life. been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Let him break free in your life. And it starts with making space for him to learn to listen again to his voice and to trust him when he tells you to do something crazy. To trust him when he tells you to believe for miracles. To trust him when he tells you to believe that he can and will do miracles again. You may not have seen them yet, but believe they're coming. I believe that there's going to be relationships restored in this room, within your families, within my family, that people thought there is no hope. There will never be forgiveness here. There will never be love. That's miraculous. When he restores that relationship, start believing it, start speaking it, start saying it, and start telling the demons they can't have a foothold in your life or your family's life anymore. Command them in the authority of our big brother, Jesus. Say it. In the name of Jesus, I command you. You tell those spirits they have no foothold anymore. And you cast them out. And you start praying for deliverance over your family. You start praying for deliverance over those chains that have been holding them down. Over those chains that have been holding you back. You're ready to walk in freedom. You're ready to step into what he has for you. But there's doubt. And there's fear, and there's a spirit of fear. When you feel that fear, you cast him out. You speak to him. You say, fear, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. For God did not give me a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. That's the spirit he gave you. That's his Holy Spirit, and he is moving and working. You know it right now. Speak to the demons. That's what Jesus did. He spoke to them. We think we're crazy in this world if we start speaking out loud to demons, right? What did Jesus do? He spoke to the demons and he commanded them. And he told his disciples to do the same. You start commanding them in my name. Use my authority because I've given it to you because you're sons. When you get attacked this week and it's going to come, it's going to come really fast and it's going to come at you hard. When you get attacked this week, you command those spirits in the name of Jesus. You have no place. You have no foothold here. I cast you out in the name of Jesus. There's power in his name because we are sons through his adoption. You're not slaves anymore. Now do you believe it? Now do you believe it? You're getting there. We're getting there. I know I was going to have you do communion, but we're going to have this moment of communion right here, right now. 
If you feel called or led to have a conversation with somebody, to pray with somebody, to pray for somebody, to ask somebody for prayer, this is the time you can do that. And guess what? Here's that spirit of fear right there. Don't do it. You'll look dumb. You'll be embarrassed. People will stare at you. No, they're not. That's the spirit of fear. He's a liar. Cast him out right there. In Jesus' name, be gone. We're going to take this cup and we're going to remember that we've been adopted by the Son. We've been adopted by the Father through the Son's blood. Through the sacrifice He made for us on the cross. Remember in this moment that you're no longer slaves. Let's worship Him.